Welcome back to the Marvel Movie Minute, a daily podcast in which we explore the films of the Marvel Cinematic Universe one minute at a time. In this, our fourth season, we're looking at Kenneth Branagh's 2011 film, Thor. I'm Matthew Fox from TheEthicalPanda.com. And I'm Andy Nelson from The Next Real Film Podcast. And today we have crossed the centennial mark. We're talking about Minute 101, which begins with the Bifrost collapsing and ends with the back of a man who looks quite a bit like our friend Eric. Joining us on the show today is returning guest Will Freeland from the Hype is My Superpower podcast. Uh, Will, so good to have you back. Hi, thanks for having me back again. I feel like I've time traveled from all the way from Jotunheim to sitting on the Bifrost Bridge, or what's left of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not much. Yeah, it's kind of, you, you, get, you get to kind of peek in at Thor at different moments and get some of that fun perspective. Well, it's going to be really good having you here. We're going to talk about uh, that and a whole lot more right after this. We love talking movies. We love talking Marvel. Yeah, we love talking comics. I mean, who are we kidding? We just love talking about all of this stuff. We have a fantastic Discord community. We'd love for you to get in and join us over there. Just go to truestory.fm slash Marvel Movie Minute and click on the Discord link. It's that easy. We're starting here at the observatory falling apart. And I know one of the reasons why I know you is because you're a huge comics book person. Mm -hmm. What's your kind of memory of the observatory and this whole like the 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 side of the world at Asgard and the water just flowing over the edge? Are these images that you remember from the comics or is this just straight out of Kenneth Branagh and the the visual team's imagination here? So my frame of reference with the comics is... It's pretty much strictly just the last, like, 20 years of comics and not the last, like, 60, 70 that they've been around. Because I know um, back when they first introduced the Asgardians and all of them, uh, they made Asgard kind of look like this floating island with, um, um, oh gosh, somebody's art, Kirby's art and stuff. Uh, They have, like, the giant helmets and horns bigger than arms and all that kind of stuff but um my frame of reference to asgard it is a floating island but it's not fantastical (laughs) um and it's uh very much its own realm and not as we find out you know years down the mcu line that it's just other places in the universe um right but uh, yeah, in, in your knowledge, Asgard is floating above Oklahoma, I believe. Uh, that is that is the yeah. So I came in during <laughs> Avengers Disassembled, which is when uh, in Thor Disassembled, he dis- he basically starts Ragnarok but destroys the wheel, and so it that was like the final Ragnarok, and then they bring him back. Uh, Straczynski brings him back, and he brings Asgard just floating over Oklahoma. He was in Oklahoma, and then they're like, hey, you can't really have your land here on our land. Um, and so he's like, well, fine. So he lifted it up, and so now it's floating above Oklahoma. <laughs> As you do. As you do. Um, <laughs> so getting into the minute itself. So we start with the scene of the observatory falling apart and kind of everything going off the edge. As we're going to see in a bit, there is some, like, I don't want to get too much into the astrophysics of the world of the gods, but I'm going to get a little bit into the astrophysics of the world of the gods, which is that I I get that there's some kind of vortex that's pulling people in, but we have seen even before that the water sort of going over the edge and falling straight down. 
where's the gravity that's pulling it down coming from? Am I thinking way too much about this? Because, like, everything is, is set in a kind of, like, you go over the edge and you fall down, but there's nothing causing gravity to go in that direction. So I, I'm lost. It's a, it's a strange uh, planet that they've created here because it very much feels like um, something that is very comic booky, but not in the realm of physics, which, you know, I mean, the, <laughs> the, the movies have kind of tried to make all that fit together. Just then you have something like this. And I'm like, I don't know how that makes sense. My guess was like, okay, so maybe the, the, when we have the Asgardian sea, it kind of pours off like in this giant waterfall. Does it just, does it turn into rain on the underside? I mean, we saw, we've seen the underside and it's kind of covered in clouds. So I'm like, well, maybe it all goes into the clouds and then it kind of comes back up into the sea. It's very confusing. I, I don't know. That's how you get the creation myth of rain. Yeah. Right there. There you, there you go. go. There you go. Yeah. I like it's, it. It's I a like peculiar it. setup that we have here. So so moving away from the physics towards the characters that I certainly start to love, um, we get overlaid as we're watching everything fall apart. We just start hearing this like plaintive, horrified scream that we realize is Loki as he's falling. And, and I, I'm just... It's funny to think of it just for a scream, but I'm once again just so struck by Hiddleston's acting because that there's so many ways for that scream to just feel wrong or off, but somehow Hiddleston just nails it. It is a fantastic scream. That was my note too. Is just it just it really is just something like if you're falling and you need to scream, it sounds like that's the sort of scream that you would make. Like it just it comes out like as a really effective "I'm falling to my death" plummet sort of scream. You know, I mm -hmm. I, I really enjoy what he's doing here and uh, you know i mean you can say what you will about the effects through uh through this movie i mean it is 11 years old now but it's still you know you can buy into it enough and and you know as you see him kind of falling there on the edge it's it's kind of fun to see some of it looks like the way that the shots are constructed they were trying to figure out the right way to cut this so that it would work some of them are really close up like shots of thor's face and stuff as they're as they're falling so it's like you just have to kind of very quickly try to understand exactly what's happening here. And, and you know, it, it, it works for the most part, I guess. The one thing that kind of that throws me off is the quick cut of when of they show a body hit the like edge. It's like it does the it does the um, observatory falling and then it and then there's the scream and then it cuts to something hitting the edge of bifrost and then it cuts to uh thor getting caught yeah and i i never fully understood usually when you see something get hit on something sharp like that there's going to be like a wince or you'll see like a bloodied arm and that's what's like keeping them from getting up it just kind of happened and i i don't i guess from a like screenwriter director's perspective, I don't know why they kept that in that quick cut because it didn't seem to pay off on anything. It, it well, especially because the edge of the bridge looks so jagged. Yeah. I mean, it, it looks like uh, it you're gonna like if you touch it, you're going to like you know rip your your flesh open. <laughs> you know, it looks like I mean, shattered does, fiberglass. <laughs> yeah, it looks incredibly dangerous and. Uh, you know, I mean, it's uh, it is Thor whose chest hits it and and snaps a piece off actually, and it's just like, gosh, it just that just seems like it's going to hurt. It just feels like you're going to be impaled on one of these giant pieces of bridge that's just sticking out. Yeah. So th there's a character moment that I'm gonna I want to talk a lot about. We're going to get to, but just we got to go through one or two more, like just what's happening now. 
So Loki holds on to Gungnir, and then Thor grabs Gungnir. And then we find out that Odin is holding Thor's foot. So Odin is back. But I just want to start with, does Thor know that? Because I'm wondering, like, what is Thor's plan here? Is I, I, I'm guessing Thor's plan is to catch Loki and then fly, like, change directions and fly back. So why is Odin needed? Is Odin needed to be, or does Thor know that Odin's there and this is kind of the plan? What What's happening in this moment? Well, we don't see Odin in that, in the one shot where you see them falling and it's a wider shot and you can see the full edge of the bridge. There is no Odin. So my sense is that we're meant to believe Odin just, uh, you know, uh, gets there very quickly just in time to save Thor from, I guess, the two of them. I don't, I don't think Thor had a plan other than to kind of catch Loki and hopefully the two of them would at least, if they fall off into the, you know, get sucked into this Bifrost vortex that has appeared in space, at least they're together and they can figure it out from there. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how I interpret that. It It's strange. I mean, I guess Thor could have summoned Mjolnir and then um, used and somehow thrown Mjolnir to get them back. But uh, I don't know. It, it feels like um, I, and I guess I didn't even really think about that until you brought that up, that, you know, was there a plan uh, up to that point? I mean, I, I do like the idea that because we've always seen Thor be fairly reckless and the idea that his love of his brother is so great, even after everything has happened, that he does just sort of recklessly throw himself to try and grab Loki without any plan whatsoever. Because that's what heroes do. Which is a little, like, I, I get it. the instantaneousness of it makes a lot of sense, but I, I kind of wish we'd gotten that one moment of Thor grabbing him, him continuing to fall, and Loki having some biting comment about, what did this do, brother? You know? <laughs> well, it, it, to that end, I mean, it's, a, well, well, I guess we'll talk about this more, but it's interesting that there's really no interaction between Thor and Loki in this final moment here. Yeah. Yeah, well, and we'll get, definitely get to that in a second. Um, so, what what do you think about Odin showing up like this? Uh, my my impression when when Odin mysteriously appears very quickly to catch Thor by his ankle is that oh this this is what this is probably how they put the film together, and then they realize nobody understood that Odin woke up, so they added that shot of his eye opening <laughs> earlier when Thor started hitting on hitting on the the bridge with it with Mjolnir. Um, it just it, it felt like one of those things where it's like it's so sudden and such a kind of a surprising moment that it's like we need to telegraph this a little bit because otherwise it's a little confusing. I think it's fine. Otherwise, I mean, I, I, I like that in, in the context of the story with a theme of father and sons that bringing them together in this moment does make sense to me. That works. So. Let's get to the moment that I, I don't know if you, you all, but I have some major problems with, especially with what Thor later says to Odin about his parenting skills. Uh, and, and it's funny. Here's a, a real Mandela effect, because we have been talking this entire season, or I've certainly been talking about how I think the, the moment where Loki says that he thinks he was doing what his father would want and his father, like, in my head, what I remembered is his father, like, gently explaining to Loki, like, no, that, that, that you didn't understand um like i was really looking for, so first of all i'm very surprised at how short this moment is and how how different it is than i remembered it um but i think i it's a, it's a very poignant moment we've been building up to this whole time and, and so loki says you know father i did this for you i i we could have done this 
and, and I, I want to talk about sort of where Loki's coming from, but I, I just need to start with Odin. In this moment, to me, like what a good father does is to say, you know, is to offer sympathy and empathy, like to, you know, express like, you know, I'm so sorry if you ever thought that about me or, or you know, like, no, uh, you, you don't have to do this to make me proud of you. Something like that. Instead, Odin just says no with no other context. And when Loki just lets go, I kind of admit, like, yeah, you just got horribly rejected by your father. I, I get why you would do that. Am, am I just being far too much, you know, um, projecting on this? Or, or do you also see that Odin really could have handled this a lot better? That was definitely my takeaway, too. I was, I was, I, I, I was, uh, okay, the first time I saw it, I was very disappointed by the scene. Kind of the same way you were. I, I thought that there would be a more Odin father figure moment out of that. Or some sort of like cheesy dialogue, maybe. Anything more than what we got. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, af- after that, I was like, well, screw Odin. <laughs> like, like, what a, that was such a dick move to say no, Loki, and not say anything to try to save him from, from dropping off. Because we're supposed to be under the impression that, like, Odin still loves Loki. He just knows that Loki is misguided. And so, like, that, but that's not how you, you're thousands of years old. <laughs> you think at this point in your relationship and life, you would know how to, uh, handle this kind of a conversation, I guess. I don't know. It was, I was, I was underwhelmed. Yeah. I don't, I guess for me, I, I feel that the way that, uh, Anthony Hopkins delivers that line, it's so quiet and, and there's kind of a piece to it that I, I find it less, um, uh, like just, you know, putting Loki down, like no Loki, like something like that. It's, it, there's, there's a sense, I don't know. I, I felt like there was a sense of love in there still. And so it didn't, it doesn't bug me the way that he delivers it. I mean, he could have said more. It was very simple the way that he did it, but it really was just saying, you're not thinking about this right. Like, you know, I mean, Loki's just like, you know, I could have destroyed this whole planet and saved us all. And he's just like, no, that's not how you go about doing this sort of thing. And I I don't know. For me, I think that it ends up working. I mean, he causes, it directly causes Loki to attempt suicide. <laughs> how is that working? No, I mean, to, no, to, I do agree with Andy. Like, uh-huh. uh, Anthony Hopkins' delivery is definitely... There's definitely like a totally lot of that. a lot of um, hurt and emotion in the way he says no, Loki. Um, right, but like in this situation, I feel like uh, there's an argument that that's not enough. <laughs> he's he's got to try harder. I, I think that's where I am because I just I feel like yeah, I totally get that he means this with love. But we've already had a confrontation where Loki was saying to like where, where Odin saw that Loki doesn't hear the things he's saying about him loving him and about him being part of the family. So to me, for me to feel like Odin has learned anything by this whole experience, I need Odin in this moment to express empathy, to like have some understanding of how because I get what you're saying, Andy, that there's a need to help Loki understand that he's misguided. But that, it just feels like such a, like, kicking someone when they're down and at their worst, you know? like. Well, yeah, but, I mean, you know, it, 
there's also the point where if the person's a criminal and they've tried, you know, committing mass genocide, it's like, you know, we do have to put a stop to this, regardless of my feelings about you. Yeah. And so, I mean, yeah, he absolutely has to tell him, you're done. You need to stop. And we can talk about this later, but you're coming home right now. Like, he he has to put a stop to all of this. And I don't think saying that he's committing suicide is absolutely a fair judgment at all based on on the the types of characters that we have here. Mm, how so? Well, I mean, they're they're as guardian gods, and they can fly around in space. And I, I don't think that that's an intention that Loki has in the least. I have never once read this like, I'm going to just fall into space and kill myself. Like, I, I don't think that um, I ever felt like that was his intention there. I guess for me, and maybe I'm reading because of, of the second movie. Well, I mean, first of all, like in just a few moments, Sif is going to come up to, to Frigga and say, I'm so sorry for your loss. Mm-hmm. And between that and then the way they talk about Loki as being gone, I, I certainly have the impression that everyone on Asgard thinks Loki is dead. Yeah. It, I, 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 and especially the look on Loki's face. To me, that look was one of utterly giving up. I guess. I, oh, man. OK, so <laughs> from a like giant storytelling perspective, exile is basically the same as death. And I feel like. From Loki's perspective, he's like, well, I need to get away from Asgard. Wherever wherever this black hole that the Broken Bifrost just created is going to send me, It anything is better than what I'm going to be feeling if I stay. So, I gotta go. Um, and, and, and he's just kind of like, let's just roll the dice, see where reality takes me, and... We'll, we'll we'll deal with it from there. But I, I don't think, I don't necessarily see it as a committing suicide thing. M- more of a, um, I give up, let's see what's next kind of a thing. Right. Which, depending on your storytelling, it's the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I won't be back here. Right. And I guess that's fair. But I think even if that is, then I, I still think that's Odin failing. Because I think... I think Odin, what Odin wants is to get Loki back up so that they can talk with it and like, you know, maybe put him in prison, maybe do something like make sure he never does this again, but to like move towards some real rehabilitation. And I guess it's that I, I definitely do see a, li- a link between the incredible cruelty of, at least as I perceive it, of how Odin speaks to him in that moment and then Loki's reaction next. But it, I think there's a lot of ways to see it, because, again, we've got great actors here, and there's just so many layers and layers and layers of what they're thinking. Well, and clearly, I mean, the the thing that's interesting is that they are such rich characters. And, you know, as we've talked about a lot, Loki is a character who does keep recurring time and time again in the uh, in kind of this entire franchise. And so that's been an exciting thing with him. But I mean, yeah, I, I it it's based on Marvel's track record. <laughs> It probably mm-hmm. would have seemed like he was just floating off into space into nothingness, and that was it. Because every, almost every single other villain in every other film has died. Yeah, yeah. At this point, yeah. at film number four, they've all died by the end. I think, right? Well, no, I, I take that back. I mean, I, I think the film number two, um, we did not kill Emil Blonsky. So oh, Blonsky, no, yeah, Incredible Hulk, yeah, he didn't die. That's true. Yeah, that's true. So, yeah, so I guess uh, I guess we're two for two then yeah. <laughs> at this point. <laughs> so taking it a different way, and here's one of these moments where this is the larger MCU talking, and I, I, I don't think the filmmakers knew it, so I think it's totally fair that they didn't highlight it then. 
But but if we're taking the MCU as this whole larger story, uh, knowing what I know about Ragnarok, I think makes me all the more critical of Odin because, you know, in in essence, all Loki was doing was quite literally what his father had been doing uh, with Hela way back in the day. And like, I don't think there's any reason to think that Loki knows that. And again, they made this movie without even knowing that. But knowing all that, I think, is also what makes me have so much anger at, at Odin in this moment, because also it just – it's so hypocritical, like, knowing what we know know later. Well, and, and you know, I think that if you want to – because, I mean, I think you're right. I, and and if, you, if you take the entire context of Odin's story into play here and you look at this, like, this is really the end of the tragic – the story of Odin and his family, right? I mean, he right. he raised Hela to to raise Hell, uh, and they they tear up the realms, and then he has a, a whole shift, and he kind of banishes her, has these sons, never talks about her at all, and all of this, uh, really, I mean, leading into Ragnarok, it's really kind of all payback for the decisions that he made when he was a younger parent, and and kind of the the not so good parenting that he um uh, had and so yeah it's it's the sins of the father uh really kind of continuing to come back and this this is just part of that so i mean i mean i i i definitely think that there's a lot more complexity going on here than just simple black and white um between you know is odin um making a good call or a bad call here i, I think there's a lot of gray area that's uh, again like you said they are such rich characters and that's why it makes it so interesting so yeah, Odin's at least one one out of three of his kids has turned out halfway decent, and that one just took some work. But you know, I'm not a parent, so maybe like that's a good goal. I don't know. Uh, and so, what about Thor in this? Because it's li- I mean, I'd forgotten that it's literally Odin and Loki talking to each other, <laughs> literally talking past Thor as Thor is just being held by each of them. Um, I, I guess you don't have him say anything here because you don't want him to step on the moment. But it does just feel weird to me that he says nothing during this discussion yeah all all he says is when he realizes loki's about to let go he says loki no and and that's it and that's 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 his only moment and it is such a strange thing that he doesn't participate but i guess at this point it really is between um, loki and odin Mm -hmm. i don't know what did you think about that will it it's hard coming at this movie trying to pretend like nothing else in the mcu that happens afterwards has happened. Right. <laughs> uh, but, um, yeah, I, uh, they, they spend a good amount of time doing this whole, like, brotherly love rivalry thing. Um, I think, I think if Thor had led the conversation instead of Odin ca- uh, canceling it out, um, he might have been able to bring, to get Loki and convince him to get there, to come up. Um, or, you know, if they wanted to tell a different kind of story, Thor could have just lifted Gungnir e- easily <laughs> and just thrown him back up. Um, but, uh, yeah, it is it is conceptually weird that the protag and the antagonist of the story didn't have, like, a last conversation that's kind of, like, against typical uh storytelling rules so i guess that was kind of fun to like um um go against the grain on that but i would i would have liked to have seen one last like conversation of like why are you doing this or not why are you doing this we had that but like you know 
this isn't the answer. This isn't, this isn't how you atone for your mistake. This isn't how you make it up to Odin, to father. Like, I feel, I, I feel like there could have been something, but I guess not in, not the way that, not in that position, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> in in a fair. position of where I am literally holding your life in my hands. Let's talk this out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And, and so then we get, like, the last moments of this part of it where both Odin and Thor, clearly they're very grief-stricken. You know, Odin just quietly says no again. And 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 it, it, this, I think, is very powerful because it's so clear that, like, before he was saying, no, Loki, you're wrong. And now he's more saying, like, oh, no, no, Loki, don't do this. But too late. Um, and, and to me, there is at least – at least as I see it, like, there, there's some – he's he's sad about it. I also think there's some, like, you know – Maybe not guilt is the right word, but just definitely some like understanding of like you know how how did we get to this place and and I'm so sad we got to this place and of course Thor just looks horribly grief stricken, which yeah, I yeah. I think is a is a wonderful thing about his character because of Loki literally just tried to kill him like five hours ago <laughs> you know however long it was yeah yeah well uh, and I mean he's realized so many things about Loki Loki uh, you know is is the king of asgard and refuses to let him come back he lied to him about his mother and that his father was dead like there's so many things that loki continued to do on top of which he tried to kill him and so yeah it's amazing that uh that he still has such uh forgiving love for his brother and and that's that's a definite strength that we have in this character that i really love definitely uh any other last comments either you want to make about this minute before we wrap up I have two quick things. Um, one, Heimdall's Observatory. You know, it's called Heimdall's Observatory. I mean, obviously, he's he's in the healing room right now. But is this like a lighthouse? Is this also where he lives? And is he homeless now? Like, as I was thinking about this, I'm like, yeah, I mean, he's always here. Like, what does he do now? I mean, we we know what he's going to do. But, like, does he not have a place to lay his head at this point. Uh, so that was my first question. I don't... Well, there's no cot. We never see, like... Maybe there's a basement that we don't get to see that we're missing. Right. There's some other <laughs> level or something. I, I mean, I think... I, I might, If I remember from the myths correctly, he's kind of like Atlas, you know, from Greek mythology, and that he never sleeps because he is always watchful. Uh-huh. Um, so I, I, I think that's kind of part of his... Stu- you know... He doesn't like go to Asgard and like hang out at the feasts ever. You know, he just he's there. It's this very solitary, lonely kind of life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, man, that's a good question. Um, the other thing that I uh, that I noticed in this minute that I I can't believe that we have never noticed is that Thor has this red glove. It's like a half glove on his uh, on his hammer hand that I have just I've never noticed, but it's always been there. Um, and I assume it's just to for better grip and stuff like that. And actually, in Norse mythology, I did learn that Thor has special iron gloves uh, that he uses to wield Mjolnir, and the gloves are called Yarngriper or something like that. And um, and so, but I, I finally noticed it here because when he was trying to reach out for for Gungnir, I'm like, did he wrap his cloak around his hand? But no, it's actually like this red glove that he wears on one hand and and you see it through the whole film it's it's so interesting that like this is the first time that i've actually noticed that he has this thing i've never noticed that that's crazy yeah i know it's just one of those little subtle things that's just there you know Mm -hmm. very very cool little kind of subtle costume um bit and another nice nod to the norse uh mythology I, i mean i feel like if there's anything that this process of going through this movie minute by minute has taught me 
is that there's so many little things in the movies that I generally look at. And I like, I, I, I think that I, I don't think that that was a conscious decision. I think that it was, just, it was just whatever. But then realizing, like, no, like you have to because you have to decide what is he going to wear on his hand. Like every one of these things is a conscious decision of some way. So yeah, like if, there, if there's some significance, it's probably not. Not that it's always intentional. Sometimes there's unintentional things, but just realizing how much how much more thought actually goes into all the stuff than I ever would have realized. Yeah, right. Oh, and one last thing. Um, it's not technically the uh, picture wrap for Tom Hiddleston, but it kind of is the actual film content picture wrap for Tom Hiddleston in this moment here. Um, he, he will be back at the end. I guess we're calling that part of the actual movie, but as far as the actual story of this particular film, this is it for him. Yeah. I, I I love Chris Hemsworth. I think Anthony Hopkins is fantastic. I, I think Tom Hiddleston's acting is what really like makes this movie what it is. This was his first big role, right? In acting? Uh on screen. He had he had done a lot of theater, which yeah. is actually how he knew Anthony Hopkins. And he had actually uh uh he had done some Shakespeare before, which is part of and I think actually with Branagh. I remember the story is that like they were working something together when the news came that Branagh was going to direct Thor and Hiddleston like went to his office and was like, hey, I know you're going to do a Shakespearean version of this. You know I'm Shakespearean. <laughs> Let's do this. But yeah, I think I think this was his first time on screen. Oh, other than bit parts, he had done a, a couple small, small little roles. This is the first, I, I think, his first big role. Well, Will, thank you so much. I'm really excited to have you here for this entire week. Um, and to our listeners who may want to learn more about what you're up to, uh, I noticed some pretty elaborate Lego structures in the background of the shot with you. Uh, <laughs> what's going on with those? Because I have a speaking suspicion people can uh, learn more about you and Lego. Dude, yeah, you can find me on Twitch, uh, uh, Silver Dreamer, uh, Silver with a Y. Um, I build Legos during the week. I do a weekend workout stream and I play video games on Sundays. Um, and I try to just make a really fun and relaxing place for people to come and hang out and end their day. Yeah, so you can find me there. I also have uh, a podcast with one of my best friends. Uh, his name is Steve Storman. It's called Hype is My Superpower. Uh, where we t- uh, it's basically kind of a podcast book club where we talk about the, the books that we read that week. And um, I am... Mr. Marvel, and that's all I read, and so it's kind of just a, it's it's a comic book podcast, basically. <laughs> nice, nice. Well, I, I'm going to get you to read a little bit of DC because I want your thoughts on Peacemaker, the TV show. But but yeah. that'll be a whole other discussion. So yeah. uh, we're looking forward to having you on here as always, Andy. Thank you so much for all the great things you do to make this happen, and to our fans, thank you. You're you're why we do this. You're why we have these conversations. Thank you so much, and have a nice day. Thanks, guys. Bye. Until next time, true believers. Marvel Movie Minute is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson. This season's music is One Last Ride by Martin Puringer. Find the show at truestory.fm, and if your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, consider doing that for this show. Music